please lock the cage doors at this time. Today, we get to study stepping into the cage. Volume five, the dream child. I knew that I had to find a, a vehicle that would allow me to do that where there was some mechanism of truth or reality in that the character was losing his mind. So his behavior, his body language, his facial expressions were also the result of a man who was having a nervous breakdown. So therefore I could become very stylistic. Let's explore the boundaries of where you can go with acting. then that adventure films were the universal language, and I thought that if I would do that, it would give me tenure. Hey buddy, ever heard of a lie? Hey, have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and being tell you, PISSED It was a movie that was shot very quickly, three or four weeks, and I'm thankful for that, because I was exploring a very dark corner of my imagination doing that movie, and I was trying to get a little method with the performance. You just put it in the right file, according to alphabetical order. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, Q, U, X, Y, Z! Huh? That's all you have to do! Bravo! Bra-fucking-bra! felt like at the time, I don't know what it was. I guess it was just everybody was so more into the standalone Thors and, and Captain America's at the time that when, when that came out, everybody was like, meh. Now everybody's just loving this little Tom Holland kid. He's just, he's so hot right now. <laughs> Is he truly dating that girl though? That uh, What's her name? I, was, I can never say her name correctly. Zondale? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Zondale. <laughs> what is her fucking Zendaya. 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 Yeah. I heard that the I, I other night, and I was like, that's cute, but I didn't think it was true. But I don't keep up with the uh, Disney Channel gossip. Mm -hmm. I remember 21 Pilots, that the drummer was dating some chick from The Sweet Life with Zach and Cody. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. I don't care. Just make uh, more music. Probably like 22, playing a 17-year-old or 16-year-old. Probably. You know. you know, talking to John, I mean, he's supposed to be playing like a high school character. I mean, it's obviously just a bit part. Mm-hmm. But you break it down, like he was 29 when he did that. Right. <laughs> you know, so I mean. You been watching anything interesting lately? Well, I mean, I've been watching just like a bunch of artsy fartsy shit, man. So stupid. Okay, so <laughs> it's funny that you bring it up because we're talking about David Lynch later on. Uh, David Lynch is another one of those where I'm intimidated by watching his films. Like, there's so much subtext and so much, you know, part of the artist, you know, that's coming out. It's not easy to see where he's coming from. This movie called The Piano Teacher that I bought. Mm -hmm. It's directed by a guy named Michael Haneke, or Haneke, or, or however you say it. He's like an Austrian filmmaker. Okay. And he's one of those filmmakers, like his whole filmography, I'm like so intimidated by. Like, even if I watch it, will I even appreciate it? Like, will I just write it off as some stupid, boring movie? Or could I really see it as something great, you know? So there's a movie came out, I want to say about 15 years ago, called Funny Games. Mm-hmm with Tim Roth and Naomi Watts. And they played like a, a married couple that got assaulted by a couple of local kids yeah. inside their house. 
but that's like his claim to fame, the director I'm talking about. <laughs> and I, I can go so fucking deep. Okay, so he directed the one with Tim Roth and Naomi Watts, right? Yeah. But he's actually doing a remake of his own movie that he did 10 years prior in Austria called Funny Games with a whole different cast. The only way that he would allow the movie to be remade was if he did it himself. Isn't that fucking crazy? What? So it's that level of thinking on the filmmaking side that I'm like, oh shit, I can't even touch this shit. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to, yeah, to yeah, watch yeah. it and appreciate it. And so this movie called The Piano Teacher, it's this very somber movie that I heard about that they say is one of his best, this Michael Haneke guy. It's about this lonely lady who's just frustrated. She's under the rule of her mother. She's obviously a piano teacher. And she finds this uh, piano student and she starts this like nefarious affair with him. He's like, he's just, like seriously underage, risking every Everything that she's ever known for this dude, just for this fleeting thing, you know, and knowing that her mom will like disown her. Yeah. And it's it's just a beautiful piece of filmmaking, man. It's a, you know, it's I, that was full, completely fulfilled when I watched. It. Okay, so uh, you ready? Yeah. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spin the Real Shit, uh, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shit. Uh, you are catching us on a very special day, because this is our 64th episode ever, and today we are adding another volume to our ongoing Nicolas Cage double feature series. This is Stepping into the Cage, Volume 5. And for this chapter, we watched the remake of the classic 1973 horror film of the same name, 2006's The Wicker Man. And we also got David Lynch's 1990 bizarre love story, Wild at Heart, in as well. Uh, we break down both films as well as check in on Cage's newest release and do some Nick Cage trivia. Uh, my name is Charlie Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit. And joining me, as always, is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac himself, Rylan Johnson. What's going on, man? Did I ever tell you this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in my personal freedom? Dude, we're going to talk about it. He's so <laughs> fucking cool, man. Let's go. Yes, we're going to be talking about all of that later on because this is stepping into the cage. We are back. It was too long between volume three and four, so <laughs> we figured that we we're going to put these things in regular rotation. I had a blast watching uh, Pig and Pirates, Prisoners what the, what, of the Ghost Land. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that was a great soundbite. Just fucking Pirates, <laughs> Prisoners, Ghost Land, whatever the fuck that one was. You know, it, it's a great Nick Cage experience just to be able to watch two movies back to back. And I think we've got a couple of good ones here tonight. But uh, before that, uh, I want to talk about the group a little bit. Gentlemen. You have my curiosity, but now you have my attention. We have just finished our initial matchup round of the first 16 matches, whittling our 32 down to 16. We are in the Sweet 16 currently. Mm. We are recording this as of the day that the Sweet 16 is about to start, but when this drops, we will have been voting for a few days. But uh, I wanted to ask you, Ryland, this uh, Sweet yeah. 16, uh, what do you think? What do you think overall? Uh, do, you, uh, do you like the choices that were made? Not a lot of surprises. My big upset was Howard the Duck not winning against Big Hero 6. I thought that was a shoe-in. Because Big Hero 6 is a good Disney thing, and it's it's really well done. I get it, but man, that was my little black sheep. But most of them are painting out exactly how I expected. You know, I'd like to see Logan do well. I think that's one of the best films 
films in the bracket, not necessarily maybe the best popcorn Marvel movie that people yeah. love and can watch over and over again. But yeah, you know, I think it's going to be an end game Final Four and a Logan. And I hate to say, I think Deadpool or the Spidey Corner in the bottom right will also battle a little bit. That's a close one. So you're like new here, right? We got that in common. Yeah, that's one thing. Cool. Yeah. I'm Miles. I'm Gwanda. Wait, your name is Gwanda? Yes. I was going to mention the quadrants here. Like you see that Infinity War and Endgame are both in different quadrants. So they could, yeah. in theory, yeah. be the MCU's representatives for the final four. But looking at the other quadrant, it's Deadpool, X-Men, and then two Spider-Man films have to go up against each other. So only yeah. one is going through. Just real quick, because I don't know your uh, opinion on this. Sure. Was Infinity War better than Endgame? Because I think it was. Tell me his name again. Thanos. He's a plague, Tony. He invades planets. He takes what he wants. He wipes out half the population. He sent Loki. The attack on New York. That's him. This is it. What's our timeline? No telling. He has the power in Space Stones. That already makes him the strongest creature in the whole universe. If he gets his hands on all six stones, Tony... He could destroy life on a scale hitherto undreamt of. Did you seriously just say hitherto undreamt of? Are you seriously leaning on the cauldron of the cosmos? I, I love the ending. I love that it kind of left you whoa, and it was different. It wasn't what you expected. There was a lot of twists and turns in that Marvel movie that were kind of cool to me. I always leave myself out of the hype and the hearsay. The sad ending, I thought it was kind of uh, more impactful for, for the entire storyline. A uh, hot take on those two for me. In, in the beginning, whenever I watched Infinity War, it blew me the fuck away. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was so easily digestible, and like I was with my my, my wife, and my wife didn't give two shits about the MCU. <laughs> but but even she was really engaged in the movie. You know, it was like you know down to the wire. You know, the clock's running. We got to figure this out now. It was the third act was supreme. It was very Empire Strikes Backy, somber. Like 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 yeah. you know something's coming right after it. But right now you're just so sad. And then I watched Endgame and they had the, you know, the time heist and all that kind of stuff. And in the beginning, I didn't think it was a better movie. Yeah. But upon subsequent viewings of Endgame, I find it to be far superior. You know what I need? I need a shave. And I believe I remember telling Tony, oh, yes. Tony, Tony, live and otherwise, that what we needed was a pseudo armor around the world. Remember that? Whether it impacted our precious freedoms or not, that's what we needed. Well, that didn't work out, did it? I said we'd lose. You said, we'll do that together too. And guess what, Cap? We lost. And you weren't there. It's, it's, it's really hard to wrap all this up, but it does it very well. I mean, uh, the one thing I didn't like, though, was that Tony Stark just invented time travel. <laughs> <laughs> he's so smart, bro. Like, he's stupid smart. You want Tony Stark to be able to figure out time travel in an evening. Just put his mind to anything and it's done. Yeah. The heavy hitters are still in. They're, like I said, I don't really think there's too many uh, surprises. But yeah, guys, it's getting closer and closer to the final four and then eventually the finals. I legitimately have no idea who's going to win this thing. It's so exciting. Thank you guys so much for voting. The turnout has been so humbling, man. I, I really appreciate all the participation. Stay tuned to The Real Shit for more info on that. But uh, I think that's all we have. It's non-Nick Cage here, Ryland. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Keep it real, think slow. We should get through it just fine. Hello, Ryder, Donnie. Donnie, hello, Ryder. Because we wanted to kind of give a preview of 
one of these movies that's coming out that's getting a lot of heat. The movie is called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Nick, you've been living at the Sunset Tower for over a year. They love having me there. You owe them $600,000. Okay, I'm going to deal with all that. But I'm going to get this next role. And when I do, all of that changes. Then I'm back. Not that you went anywhere. Nicholas Cage, oh my God. I love you. <laughs> he was so good in The Rock. What about Gone in 60 Seconds? Have you seen Croods 2? No, I'm 44 years old. Why the fuck would I see Croods 2? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. We got another offer. What's it about? You head to Southern Spain and you attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's a million bucks, Nick. I'll take it. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Look, if Javi wants me to fuck his wife or watch me watch him fuck his wife, that's a no-go. You understand? That's no bueno. I am Javi. Nick Cage. Nicholas Cage? I am so happy that you're here. Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20,000 for it. What have you got there? Divine inspiration. I'm paranoid. Let's just get up on the count of three and run. They're coming! Grab my hand. You're heavier than you look. I have a very big head. <laughs> you go. I'll never forget you, Hams. Mr. Cage? It turns out we could have just walked around. Wow, I guess so. It's kind of interesting plot line. Really states April 22nd, so it's coming up. That'll be kind of coincidental with our next Step Into the Cage episode. We're going to watch it as close as we can to the release date, so it's something fresh and new. It's super meta. I mean, it's a movie about Nick Cage <laughs> in the real world, and he's, of course, strapped for cash, and he gets a bid to go to some billionaire's birthday party for a million dollars. Neil Patrick Harris is in it, Pedro Pascal. I mean, a couple of decent actors, so you hope it's not going to be absolute shit. But it seems like Neil Patrick Harris is his agent and Pedro Pascal is the billionaire millionaire guy who's throwing this birthday party. And of course, there's some CIA FBI twist to the to the plot line. But it I mean, looks very funny. Comedy all the way, I think, is what we're going for here. I mean, you got to have Nicolas Cage holding a gun at some point. I mean, come <laughs> on. I mean, even in the trailer, there's references to all his popular movies, Face Off and The Rock and, and all his good stuff. But it reminds me of uh, did you ever watch John Claude Van Johnson? Jin. It's your favorite client. I'm back. JCB! When I told you I was back, I did not mean JCBD. I meant Johnson. No, I didn't, but I did hear about it. I, I was aware. It, it's me being such a JCVD fan, it was so fucking hilarious. I loved it. At least from what I see in the trailer, this is what it reminds me of. But kind of funny. It looks kind of comedic. And I like Pedro a lot. I like Neil Patrick Harris a lot. So I think I'm on board. What do you think? Man, I'm so on board. You know, for the longest time, I, I don't think Nicolas Cage understood what was happening to him on the internet. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was just working, you know? Like, he was too busy working to understand he was becoming this internet icon. I feel like he's a folk hero almost nowadays. <laughs> like, you know, like... 
he doesn't understand that even when he makes bad movies, people still enjoy his acting in them. But I think in the last few years, he's starting to come around on that idea. I still don't think he really understands it. Yeah. But I think he's embracing it, especially with movies like Willy's Wonderland, just being like a guy that just beats up animatronic things, you know? That's definitely a play towards the youthful audience, you know? Right. And then, of course, this movie, which I was doing a little research. I was looking at some of the credits for, you know, who wrote it, who's directing it. And it's directed by a guy named Tom Gormican. He and seems like uh, he's new to everything. And then it's written by Gormican and a guy named Kevin Etten. From what I saw, he's got a lot of credits in writing, but he hasn't had anything that's, like, truly his own. He's been kind of like a punch-up writer. Yeah. And so getting a whole feature film financed by Lionsgate based off of this script, it either means that they knew somebody or that this script is really that good. I'm hoping for that. <laughs> Nicholas Cage gifted everyone a pillow with his face on it that he had signed when they were done filming. I bet his face wasn't on a bunny, though. <laughs> I'm looking at uh, it right now. But I'm sure it was his crazy face. That's a good way of starting to realize, you know, who he yeah, is online. Yeah. Like you said, the movie looks kind of meta. I mean, it's obviously meta. It's Nick Cage playing himself. You just don't see that. It's it's especially at that level. Like you said, I hope the script is really good and really well thought out. And, and it's coming from a Nick Cage fan like us who can actually write right. an awesome script and get this movie kind of made because it's totally up my alley. I'd love to write a movie about Nick Cage being himself. I would wonder if he would like it. He threw a few bucks of his own mm -hmm. into the production. So, I mean, there's obviously some backing there from the man himself. He's not just making a paycheck, you know. On top of that, it's it's got to be so hard for these stars to really humble themselves out like that and act as a version of themselves, you know. For reals. It's a crazy choice to have to make, oh. you know. I doubt very heavily that George Clooney would ever make a movie about himself. See, now that's just not the way to go here, Karen. For such a smart person, you really are lost, aren't you? This conversation is over. I'm not the guy that you kill. I'm the guy that you buy. Are you so fucking blind you don't even see what I am? There's no way he could no. do No. Dude, George Clooney's one of the last people in Hollywood I'd want to have a drink with. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just seems so uninteresting to me. Like his interviews, the way he talks, I don't know. He's done some stuff that I really enjoy. I just don't see him being a really interesting guy in real life. His vibe, I'm a vibe guy. I'm just like, eh, no, I don't want to sit at your table. Your vibes wouldn't mesh, huh? Yeah, I'd be like, can I please sit at Willem Dafoe's table? Please, God. He's like the real-life James Bond. He's just jet-setting. <laughs> you probably couldn't nerd out on Batman with him. Yeah, and that would make me mad right off the bat. I'd be like, so are we going to talk about your Batman? Okay, no, no, all right, well. You don't ask that question. You yeah, don't yeah, get yeah. to ask that question. Did my agent not tell you? <laughs> One million dollars. Two million. You don't have it. Three million. I'll borrow it from you. Four million. Five million. That's a utility belt, not a money belt. Six million. Seven million. Never leave the cave without it. The unbearable weight of massive talent, guys. That's coming out soon. This man is still making film. He's grinding this shit out every, it seems to be three to four months. It's awesome. So I want to catch these new ones as fresh as we can. Because, I mean, obviously this one joins the group. We've already done Pig. We did Willy's Wonderland. These movies, they're all different. Unique in their own way. So I'm excited that he's, that he's, that he's still chugging along. So Agreed. Yeah, and I will support him in any way I can. So uh, continuing talking about the greatness of this man, Nicolas Cage, that we love. <laughs> um, it's time to play a game. You ready to play a game, Ron? Let's play a game. Yes, sir. Hello. You don't know me, but I know you. I want to play a game. 
So we're bringing back our movie year trivia for this Stepping Into the Cage episode. And surprise, surprise, it's going to be nothing but Nicolas Cage films <laughs> on the docket today. It's very simple. We just throw out a movie title and the other person just tries to guess the year the movie was released. I feel like we're going to be brushed up on it because every time I do a Stepping Into the Cage episode, I'm, I'm just scrolling through his filmography. But <laughs> yeah, do those numbers compute? Uh, I get lost. We know his heyday years and his off years, I think, by now. Right, so you can pinpoint the era, mm-hmm, but can, mm-hmm. can you pinpoint the exact year? That's the challenge here tonight. You're, you're all knowing, right? Yeah, I am all knowing. Well, why don't you help me? I mean, just like a, a drop, help a hint. There's no hints, Gary. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Let's go. I'm going to start with a Coppola directed film. Uh, Matt Dillon, Mickey Rourke, Diane Lane, Dennis Hopper, Rumblefish. Ooh, Rumblefish. 1988. 1983. A great year. That was the year I was born. Man, I cannot believe I missed that. I've yet to see that, but when I looked at the cast, looks like he was a small part. It's 83. He hasn't really taken off anywhere near. He hasn't done Raising Arizona yet, any of that. So, Yeah, I think he just did that bit part in uh, Fast Times. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, Honeymoon in Vegas. What year did Honeymoon in Vegas come? Uh, All right. Honeymoon in Vegas, early 90s. I'm going to say 93. Incorrect. It was 1992. Uh, 1992. I'm always off by you. All right, hit me. We're going to go with another one that I have not seen. Um, Amos and Andy. Side by side with Samuel L. Jackson. Amos and Andy. I actually love this film. I'm going to say it came out in 1993. Hell yeah. I was thinking 91, but I was like, nope, that's a little bit too early. Um, Amos and Andrew. I remember seeing that poster. Is it Andrew or Andy? Amos and Andrew was the name I, of... Maybe it is Andrew, and I just wrote it wrong. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I had gone to go see Loaded Weapon 1. National oh. <laughs> Loaded Weapon 1. Coffee, Ted? Ted's from a dysfunctional family. Oh, so no coffee. And I remember I'd gotten out of the theater, and there was a poster for Amos and Andrew. I remember going, hey, that's that guy from the movie we just watched. A year later, it came out on Showtime, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm watching that. Watched it. <laughs> fell in love with it turns out that movie is hated by a lot of people terrible box office the bad critical reception and i'm like well that sucks i thought it was pretty good jolly green giants shitty beetles the shitty beetles are they any good they suck but it's not just a clever name all right here we go let's do the the sequel to national treasure national treasure book oh no um if it's the sequel i think the first one came out in like 10 no, I think the first one came out in like eight, seven or eight, and this one came. I'm going to say 2010. Incorrect. The first one came out in 2004. Whoa. Uh, and the sequel came out in 2007. Shit. <laughs> Next on the chopping block, what do we got? All right. Ridley Scott directed Sam Rockwell, one of my favorites. Matchstick Men. I'm going to go with the year 2000. 2003. Damn it. That was one of the ones I did not see at the time, and I saw later because it is really good. I really enjoy that one. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I need to rewatch that one. And Matchstick Man was definitely a sipping wine in a vineyard type of Ridley Scott. Let's see. My next one is going to be Wind Talkers. John Woo, Nick Cage. What year did Wind Talkers come out, Alan? Oh, oh man. Okay, so I really enjoyed that movie as well. I thought that was a really good script. Um but, you know, I think every actor at the time was doing more movies like that. I'm going to say Wind Talkers was 2002. Bingo! Boom! That's, that's funny you bring that up. Around the same time, like beginning of the century, you had Hearts War, you had Enemy of mm-hmm. the Gates. Mm-hmm. 
we were, we were soldiers. soldiers. Yeah. Uh, and then Wind Talkers was was also in there. Yeah. You know, all war movies are embellished, but um, I thought it was cool to show the story of those guys that never got credit for some things that were super important in war. The Native American character is uh, played by the guy from Joe Dirt. Firework guy. Yeah. yeah. So funny. Well, I see you got them snakes and sparklers, but where's good stuff, man? Good stuff. This is the good stuff. Snakes and sparklers. Are you nuts, dude? You need stuff to explode. Go boom. Why is that good? <laughs> you might, might as well ask, why is the tree good? Why is the sunset good? Why are boobs good? All righty. Uh, last one for you, Ryan. And I'm going to go with uh, Unanimated. He does it all, guys. He does even does animated stuff. It's the uh, the Croods, starring Ryan Reynolds, Emma Stone, Catherine Keener, Clark Duke, Cloris Leachman. Great cast. The Croods. I remember the Croods was part of the new releases that were coming out in Blockbuster the week the Blockbuster was going out of business. So I want to say Croods came out in 2012. 2013. Dang it, man. So close. And I like how you remember Blockbuster's dying. Yeah, it was like coming new to video, the Croods. And they're like, well, I guess it's coming to video. But but <laughs> you can't buy the Blockbuster. <laughs> you have to order it all. You have, you have to order it through the mail, remember? The Netflix when you actually had to get like shit mailed to you. You didn't notice, but I went 83, 93, 2003, and 2013. Three, oh, it's the magic number. Yeah, it is. It's the magic number. Uh, last one for me. We're going full on bad movie Nick Cage with Next. What year did Next uh, come out? Next was not in the, it was pre-11, and it was, I would say, 2007. I got two out of four. That's probably the best I've ever done. I love playing this game. It's one of my favorite movie games to play. Is uh, So thank you for playing a little trivia with me, Ryan. Thank you. You are entirely welcome. And now, let us all go to my house for a little sponge cake and a little wine and, and shit to the lumberyard. But without further ado, guys, we're about to step into the cage and talk about two of Nick Cage's most eccentric performances with The Wicker Man and Wild at Heart. Can I talk to Lula? You are not gonna see him ever. Go the far end of the world for you, baby. A man can't ask for more than that. You move me, Sal. You really do. You want me to shoot Sailor in the brains with a gun? Uh oh. I didn't have much parental guidance. Baby, you better run me back to the hotel. You got me hotter in Georgia asphalt. (laughs) (laughs) 
this whole world wild and hard and weird on top. Were you even aware of this movie before you watched it? No, I'm just not much of a Lynch guy. I mean, if you really look at his stuff, it's so dated now. I remember associating him with the original Dune. I've tried to watch that two times, maybe three, and I can't get through it. I just always thought, man, he's just not for me. He's got Blue Velvet, Mulholland Drive, you know, uh, Lost Highway, all these movies that um, a lot of film buffs uh, appreciate for certain reasons. But, you know, this is not my cup of tea usually. But I get what he tries to do. He's super, super smart and artistic and injects that into his films heavily. I mean, this one was... Insane. You think that I'd let my little girl hang out with a piece of SHI tut like you? Could you belong in one of these toilets? The first scene just sets the whole tone, but we'll get there. You're right. Like, David Lynch is definitely a, a man of his era. He was super well regarded and was getting a lot of jobs back in the 80s and 90s. Nowadays, it's it's more very insular and it's whatever David Lynch wants to do, basically. Right. But yeah, back then he was a working director and he was putting his style on everything that he could get his hands on. I remember that The Elephant Man and Dune were two huge projects for David Lynch to, to tackle. I mean, because David Lynch is very much like a, an avant-garde director. Yeah. But much like avant-garde anybody, there's people that know how to do it properly and know how to do it the best it can possibly be and there's ones that just want to make it look shitty for the sake of it being shitty and david lynch he's one of those that's he has a really good eye for his eye for composition his eye for landscapes his eye for angles all that kind of stuff he's really proficient on top of him being just an avant-garde kind of guy he makes a really good movie weird mixture it's like b-movie acting in this one he definitely has his own paint stroke He's as about as original as you can get. I don't know what it is they all think I saw that night, but I was just sitting out in the car till the whole place went up in flames. If you were to talk to a David Lynch film buff, you would probably hear that this movie is probably the most Lynch movie yeah. that, he, that he's ever made. Um, if you know about his filmography, it might not be the best movie he's ever made. That's still, you know, up for debate. But there's a lot of people that would say that this is like the most Lynch, like uh, a lot of his tropes are doubled down on in right. this film. He constantly references The Wizard of Oz and a lot of his oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. He constantly references lonely roads, going down dark roads at night. I mean, that's a huge Lynch trope. This is an actual road trip film. But getting back to the avant-garde, I mean, the opening credits is just a giant firestorm. <laughs> like, like, like the entire credits, it just fire the entire yeah. time. And then it cuts to this great sweeping shot of the inside of this i don't even know like a train station a depot something like that but he meets up with his love laura dern yeah we got to talk about the characters and, and the actors i mean you got laura dern who for, i mean obviously everybody thinks of laura dern as in jurassic park correct mr hammond i think we're back in business <laughs> and then i see her in that i haven't seen her in much and i think she's super quirky and weird in this but man she's young and hot and you know she fits the the, the character well if you know what i mean <laughs> Dude, I, <laughs> like she's kind of like meryl streep in that regard like i always mm-hmm. thought of her as like elegant yeah i never thought of her as hot but right. this movie, i found her very hot Ooh, I thought yeah she was i was gonna so say sexy. the same i was like um, whoa this is the jurassic park girl like mm-hmm. damn she has that kind of like sunset strip 
girl to mm-hmm. her, like back in the metal days of, of the Sunset yeah. Strip. I mean, she's wearing very risque clothes the whole time, and she's playing this kind of ditzy girlfriend of a super eccentric Cage character. But I think she does well. It's not the best acting, but I think that's kind of what I want to talk about on this one. Is like, of course, if that's the type of acting, that overacting, weird kind of B movie acting, Nick Cage is the best for it. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> well, one thing puzzles my mind, sugar. What's that? You're 20 years old. Ain't you ever curious why your mom's got this fixation on keeping us apart? Laura Dern plays a character named Lula. She's obsessed with her boyfriend mm-hmm. uh, named Sailor Ripley. I think that's a cool fucking character name. <laughs> that's right up there with Simon Phoenix, dude. Sailor okay. Ripley? Come on. And this guy is always kind of quasi-dressed like Elvis. He's played by our boy Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And in the first three minutes of this movie, we get to see just the absolute beatdown of another person. Oh, my God. You know, uh, Marietta just gave me this to kill you. After she said, Lou, comes out just uh, swinging and it's so uh, abrupt and, and, and random and the violence is pretty violent. The acting too. We cannot just discount Diane Ladd and this is, I mean, this was Oscar nominated character for her as a supporting actress. I have the privilege to present the award to one of the five talented women who were nominated as best actress in a supporting role. The nominees are Annette Benning and the Grifters. Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas. Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost. Diane Ladd in Wild at Heart. And she kills it. She's so creepy and weird. And I think she does fantastic in this as a weird, creepy mother of Lula Fortune. She cannot handle sailor ripley and lula being together it's just her main mission in life is to make sure that they don't coexist yeah that's the crux of the story is it's like it's like star-crossed lovers lula and sailor are just in love with each other and marietta their mother does not want this relationship to happen at all i put the classic lovers on the run it's been done many a times but this is lynch's spin on it so and it starts out just insane like you said he beats the guy's literal head in on the ground in this first scene and then lights a cigarette and points at marietta all elvis like and mm-hmm. it's just super overacting and super weird i mean i texted you after the first 10 minutes of this movie and i was like oh hell yeah here we go baby this looks cool <laughs> and from there we just kind of go on this just crazy trip with everybody in the movie, everybody in the movie is so eccentric. With I mean, which, I, again, is another David Lynch yes. you know, trope. There's just there's just randomness happening at different times. That's basically the thing: is that the mother tries to get the boyfriend killed. The boyfriend ends up killing the guy that was going to kill him, and right. goes to jail for about three years due to manslaughter because yeah. he was acting in self defense. So he does his three years. He gets out, and immediately he just rekindles this love affair <laughs> with Lula again. Great scene, great scene. Oh, where he comes out of jail. Yeah, I mean she's got his snakeskin jacket. Hey, my snakeskin jacket. Thanks, baby. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom? About 50,000 times. I got us a room at the Cape Fear. And guess what? Power Man's playing at the Hurricane. Hurricane. 
stabbing and steer. You really established that character of Sailor Ripley. Individuality and belief in personal freedom. It's just, it sets the tone for the characters. They're just so in love and they're hitting the road in a cool classic car and and let's go you can't discount the car the car is so cool in this oh yeah and then it just becomes this kind of road movie they just kind of go from hotel to hotel every chance they get to stop moving they just end up banging each other and it's always very explicit and it's always ended with a cigarette and they always have these just crazy philosophical conversations afterwards this is the movie with by far the most sex i mean easily i mean it's it's way way more of a different film than i expected it's not graphic sex but it's up there i mean it's not it's it's, yeah it is i mean for hollywood it's it's pretty top-notch graphic sex is about (laughs) as much as you can get away with so when i saw dr ellie sattler's legs (laughs) over nick cage's shoulders yeah i was like this is explicit man you don't Uh do that to dr ellie sattler all right alan dr grant well, Laura Dern's just looking great, too. I mean, mm-hmm. she's just, you know, it's 1990. This is three years before uh, Jurassic Park. So she's she's pretty young. It's it's a part of the movie for sure. It's one of those things that just kind of reinforces their love. Yeah. It's showing that it's very physical. But then after the, the physical part, they have these great moments, these great conversations, yeah. these great moments of just love where they just they can just share the same space and just be in that forever. It's super personal things. I mean, it, it, the first one's Lula's like rape story in the scene, which is pretty graphic as well. I mean, there's a and lot like, of like super sensitive subjects that Lynch can kind of, I don't know how he gets by with some of this stuff. And, and uh, you know, cause he kind of puts a, a, almost a comical tone on some shit, I guess, maybe these characters don't seem real. I feel like that's why you can kind of display some of the, the imagery he does and some of the plot points that he has. Right. I mean, there's even the story with, you know, the, the cousin who loved Christmas and like <laughs> Crispin Glover, God, he's a weirdo. It's perfect casting for that character. I mean, he was in the movie for like 45 seconds. <laughs> I know. But like, for, for those 45 seconds, I mean, he killed it. Bill, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm making my lunch! And then, of course, you know, Nick Cage's story about him hooking up with that jet black haired yeah. chick. Talking about tasting this peach. You know, it's very explicit <laughs> stuff. And as off the wall as it seems, and it just kind of seems like people just getting to know each other. Like, they already know they love each other. And now it's time to get to know each other. And then when they get to know each other, they're still reinforcing that message, you know? You said the peach line. It reminded me of a, a face-off. I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. He's talked about a peach. Uh, there's no coincidence there. I'm sure Nick Cage was like, John Woo, can I say a peach line again? All right, cool. Yeah. I get tons of pussy with this line. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the movie starts in the Carolinas on the East Coast. Mm. And so they basically travel from the Carolinas through the South into New Orleans and then on to Texas, this this little sleepy town called Big Tuna, Texas. The backstory going on while they're driving is that Diane Ladd's character has put out a hit Mm -hmm. on Nicolas Cage's character through this guy named Santos. Who doesn't look like a Santos like at all? No, and you got to throw in Harry Dean Stanton's in there too. I mean, he's 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 also the kind of love interest of Diane Ladd, but he plays like the current lover of Diane Ladd, mm-hmm. who is, wants to go help find the daughter. But then once he leaves, Santos comes in. He's like, I want to kill that guy along yeah, with yeah. the boyfriend on one condition: you give me permission to kill Johnny Farrigan. Santos, please. You're not telling me you're that sweet on him, are you? What? 
Are you that sweet on no, him? No, but I can't... Because one day he is going to find out what we are up to with Mr. Reindeer, and he can cause us an awful lot of trouble. She keeps leading him on. She keeps wanting to hit it, but she won't let him. <laughs> Getting friend-zoned like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I guess, was it during this time where they're in New Orleans, Diane Ladd goes absolutely fucking crazy. <laughs> Yeah, that's takes her, takes her lipstick and rubs it all over herself, <laughs> all over her face, like every every crevice. Yeah, just red as blood. It's, it's and she's it's, it's very uh, unsettling. You and I are going after Lula together. Oh, all right, honey, if that's what you want, but I'm against it. Seven o'clock tomorrow evening. Achoo. We're gonna go have dinner at our favorite French restaurant. Okay, you fix it up. Yeah, because she's caught in this crossroads where she doesn't want Johnny to die, mm-hmm. but she doesn't want to lose Santos either. It's such a weird, weird role. And I'm so glad she got nominated for it. She went all the way on this role. She dives into that character. And it seems actually out of all of the weird goofiness going on, she makes it seem somewhat believable. You know, it's known that she's crazy and it's known yeah, that she yeah. acts like this. I mean, she was trying to bang Nicolas Cage in the bathroom before the movie even started. And so she's just one of those crazy chicks, you know, just mm-hmm. trying to get her way by manipulating men. You know, just that scene with the lipstick. It, it really oh, very creepy. Me. Yeah. She eventually ends up putting out two hits, one for Nick Cage and then one for Johnny, who's played by Harry yeah. Dean Stanton. But you don't know who the hit who the hit people are. Harry Dean Stanton gets it first. He gets caught in New Orleans, tortured by this gang of uh, this guy and this girl who were a little off the wall. uh, Like they were getting off on it, maybe? I don't know. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. Fuck me now, Reggie! Ten! Super sexual. And Harry D. Satan, I like his face when he knows he's about to get it, too. He's just like, God dang it. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to die from these people. Yeah, like, yeah. Super creeps. There's these little sub storylines, you know, that, that are thrown throughout this movie that are just so bizarre. And his pacing, though, kind of weirds me out at times. There's a lot of oh. characters, a lot of side characters. They're like, what's going on? Well, I mean, it's a lot of hard cuts in the movie. Yeah, yeah. A lot yeah. of like, boom, we're, we're going, we're somewhere else mm-hmm. now. Boom, we're back. We're back to the old thing. Boom, we're somewhere else now. The music changes as well, but it doesn't fade. Oh, in. We got like, like, like as soon as the scene, as soon as the scene happens, like the music, mm-hmm. you know, like like you know, you're watching a nefarious part. The soundtracks like threw me off. It's like a lot of heavy metal, like a lot of rock, like early '90s kind of stuff. Sailor Ripley, you get me some music on that radio. This is and I made it. He was victim of a sexual assault. Mutilated, right? <laughs> But then there's, you know, Chris Isaac, Wicked Games thrown in there, which I was like, damn, is that song that old? Soundtrack's pretty sick. What did you think? I thought it was fantastic for what it yeah. was. Like the, the music itself, I thought it was representative of the time. But um, but the guy who wrote the score, it was made by a guy named Angelo Badalamente. He's very eccentric in his ways too. He's no Philip Glass or anything. But <laughs> but those parts, especially near the end, you know, where he's having yeah. his revelation, I love those cues. But I think that's great about the movie is that it goes from this hard guitar, you know, opening stuff 
to to where we get to the end, it's all violins and yeah, yeah. You know, harps and stuff like that. Like Sailor has learned his lesson. Nick Cage and Laura Dern, they find themselves in this little small town in Texas. But right before they do that, they come upon this car crash, which I think is like the huge turning point of the characters, like the, the huge part of their art. <laughs> Shit. Got this damn sticky stuff in my hair. Sticky stuff in my hair. You better come with us, Sonia. Come on. I gotta fill my wallet. Don't say one word of this to my mother, please. Please. God, she's gonna kill me. You can't worry about that. You got. Where's my hair, bro? God, she's dying right in front of a sailor. Where they kind of see the end game, if you will of what happens with that crazy lifestyle you know at any moment it could just be over right there was two dead bodies and there was a third that was about to die and then she eventually did after that point uh, laura dern's character becomes really somber yeah and just doesn't want to do this anymore in the beginning she was all party and dancing and, and right there with nick mm -hmm. cage which even after this scene with the car crash you know nick cage is still wanting to party he wants to go out and you know hang out with the people at the at the RV place and yeah, yeah. have a few beers, you know, all that kind of stuff. But Laura Dern doesn't want to do that at all. And by the way, since we're mentioning the RV park, we get the introduction of Bobby Peru. <laughs> Bobby Peru. <laughs> hey, Sailor, Lula, this here is the man himself. Bobby is Sailor and Lula, two most recent strandees, the economic variety. Bobby Peru, just like the country. Bobby just rolled into town a couple days ago. Yeah, Bobby here is the most exciting item to hit big tuna since the 86 Cyclone sheared the roof off the high school. Man, what a character. I mean, if you thought Willem Dafoe had really memorable characters <laughs> in other movies, you haven't seen Wild Heart yet. No, it uh, takes the cake. I don't care what I haven't seen of his. This is right up there. I mean, it's got to be. The weirdest Willem Dafoe. I've seen in forever. Yeah, he's got like little bean teeth too and mm -hmm. pencil mustache, slick back black hair. He's such a creep. He's such a sleaze ball in this. And his entrance, you know, it's some big girls with their, you know, all naked and he just walks by and you get introduced to, to Bobby Peru. Obviously, really the scene with him and Lula, Lord Ern's character uh -huh. in her hotel room was really intense. Yeah. Oh. Hey, pretty woman. Sailor here? Oh, he's changing the oil out in our car. Man, I gotta take a piss, Ben. Can I use your hand? You know, he comes in and, and he uh, he's just super sexual because, you know, it's Laura Dern's in like pretty much nothing. I love the way he enters the room. He knocks on the door. She cracks it open. He like mm -hmm. slides in. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know, he's like, you know, listen to me piss first. And then it just gets super, you know, I don't want to say it's real rapey. You know, it's just it's it's memorable, but it's also very sleazy and creepy. And it left like a ugh, like a creepy feeling after that scene. I was like, woof, man, he plays a good batty a good uh, nasty uh, vile person you use the toilet now you can go it ain't none of your business what i do around here that's for sure you know i sure do like a woman with nice tits like yours who talks tough and looks like she can fuck like a bunny can you fuck like that huh you like it like a bunny if you do baby i'll fuck you good like a big old jackrabbit bunny. Jump all around that hole. Bobby Peru don't come up for air. And it reveals a couple of things in the scene. Yeah. I mean, one, it reveals that she's pregnant. 
Mm-hmm. And he was able to spot that immediately with, you know, yeah. the throw up and you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then the other thing is that that she still kind of has that in her blood, like that yeah. kind of wild, yeah. wild child, you know, thing in her to where, I mean, yes, he did really approach her in the most oh, aggressive way. Most forceful and, way. And she was she she held his, on as long as she could, too. It was one of those things where I didn't know what she was going to say. You know, I was like, oh, oh what is what's going to happen here? Bobby Drew. <laughs> Grab you, hold it tight, feel everything inside you, be quiet, she fuck me, and I leave. No way, get out of here! your fucking heart out, girl! Because her love for Sailor is so strong that after the fact, he leaves the room and, and it became, you know, she was relieved that it was over, but she just immediately thought of Sailor, you know, so ashamed. And you can tell that that love is, is, is really strong between these two because, I mean, this movie is just so bonkers, but there is some levity and there's some stuff in there you can actually, like, pinpoint. It's not just gore and violence for being that way. It's it's There's a lot of shit in this film to chew on. And that scene shows that, you know, she has an affinity for like, these tough guys. Yeah, yeah. And if you're going to be a tough guy, I mean, I mean, you can say what you want about Willem Dafoe being the tough guy, but that's what he was portraying. He's portraying <laughs> yeah. like this tough guy, like this, like this, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take this and this is mine. Mm-hmm. Tell me it's mine, you know, that really turned her on, you know? And yeah. so it made her think like, do I love Sailor or do I just love the idea of him? So then afterwards, uh, Bobby Peru, he recruits Nicolas Cage's character to help him with a bank robbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like a really sleepy town, big tuna, not not a whole lot of people. Very easy job. Uh, but then you also find out that he is the other hitman out to kill Nick Cage. And so you don't know what's going to happen with this bank robbery, like any good bank robbery story. Come on, Mr. Big Round Balls. Let's go and make us some easy money. Yeah. I say the eagle flies on Friday. They have the the pantyhose over the head. I mean, the actual bank robbery itself is easy. But before he leaves, he decides to just blow one of the bank tellers away. Just bam, and then it, it, of course it all goes to shit. There's a cop that's on his way, you know, to the to, you know to the scene. There's that shot of Willem Dafoe just laughing with the pantyhose on his mm-hmm. head. He looks so like it's, it's, fucking scary in that pantyhose because he's just—he's <laughs> a scary-looking guy to begin with. Throw that weird smushed pantyhose face under it, and I'm like, oh my god. Those are dummies. Dummy. <laughs> okay. Why don't you step up here, hot shot? I'll slap that smile right off your face. <laughs> could be my nightmares tonight yeah. yeah i'm sure those are some like movie dentures but those teeth you have are just god awful you just can't look away yeah you just know his um, breath is just the worst <laughs> <laughs> so eventually nick cage is able to get out of the bank willem dafoe follows him but the cop on the outside so- unloads <laughs> on willem dafoe like i think all six bullets hit him and so he's you know he's staggering and he finally he he his knees hit the ground but then so does the shotgun, Oof. and it lands right under his chin and blows Damn. Willem Dafoe's head <laughs> off of his shoulder. I thought it would be a little bit more gory because of what you saw in that first scene, but it was almost comical. It was kind of like, you know, like, that's, yeah, that's how he goes out. Oh, oh, <laughs> Bobby oh, Peru. Bobby Peru going out like a champ, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Stop, you sons of bitches! This is the police! Hold it or I'll shoot! 
sakes. That poor bastard. I kind of thought, did it seem intentional? Like he knew he was shot to death and he just wanted to make a bang, or was it unintentional? You know, that's a classic David Lynch question that he just I think it looked pretty answer. intentional to me because he takes two shots in each shoulder. You know, he's just uh-huh. like he's wounded. I don't think he's uh he's gonna die, but he just doesn't want to go out like a like a bitch. So, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to jail. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, Nicolas Cage does go to jail. Yeah. Uh, and he spends six years in jail for the bank robbery and of course breaking his parole and all that. And so six years passes, he gets out of jail, and Lula's waiting for him with their son. Yeah. You know, that that she had while he was in prison. Mm -hmm. The last few moments of the movie is both of them really trying to figure out whether or not they should stay together. You know, I mean, all they do is make mayhem. All they do is just cause problems. You know, they make people sad. The the only ones that end up happy are those two people. But everything else around them is just shit. It's chaos. And so they decide to leave each other. He just starts running. At this moment. He's walking down a street by himself. He gets mugged by some local thugs in the area. Mm-hmm, yeah. and he passes out. He talks to the good witch or the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> which which Wizard of Oz has been referenced like so many oh, times in the film. Yeah, wicked witch. Click it on the ruby red shoes. And so he, he talks to the good witch. Sailor Ripley, Luna loves you. But I'm a robber. I'm a manslaughterer. And I haven't had any parental guidance. She's forgiven you all these things. You love her. Don't be afraid, sailor. But I'm wild at heart. If you're truly wild at heart, you'll fight for your dreams. He realizes what he truly loves. He he comes to and he's able to just walk away from these muggers, which is I thought was kind of funny. With with the worst prosthetic nose I've ever seen in a movie ever. <laughs> I, I was like, wait a minute. Why did you even try to make that look real? It looks like terrible. Serious? It looks yeah. like a cartoon uh, when you get hit in the nose and your bl- nose balloons up. It looks like, like actual well, modeling clay is what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, I feel like I could go to Spirit Halloween and do better than that. He runs to Lula, who's stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's walking over cars like a badass. And he finally meets up with her and Ken tells her that, you know, he loves her forever and he'll stay with her forever. And then he sings a little Elvis song. And then yeah. the credits roll. Love me tender. Sailor. Love me sweet. Never let me go. You have made my life There's a reference to it earlier where she says, you were going to sing that song to me. You said you were. He goes, well, I said I was going to sing it to my wife. So that's, you know, him saying, finally, like, I'm going to marry you. I'm, I'm ch- you know, I'm going to change my life. And it's a love me tender. So the entire end credits is Nicolas Cage singing love me tender to Laura Dern in real time. I would love to hear your thoughts overall oh, on Wild at Heart, Riley. It was so unexpected. I just, I don't know much of Lynch. So I, like I said, I like to go into things pretty blind. I didn't do much research. I just watched it. My first thoughts, I mean, the first scene sets the tone. It's super violent and sexual, but it's also just these outlandish characters. And, and Nicolas Cage is just, this is 1990. And he's doing some shit that he's just always done. He's just always been this kind of guy, which is kind of cool to think about. He's still doing those kind of roles. 
like yeah. 30 years later he's he hasn't he's never been typecast he's so uh he's such a chameleon bro and it's just like one of his weird colors so the, the character of sailor ripley is definitely like in his milieu if you will oh for sure just that crazy guy you know he's super expressionist but super cool we said earlier i mean one of his coolest characters the whole look i mean he fucks bro <laughs> oh dude yeah sorry i mean i mean i don't want to get too weird with it but man he slays in this one i saw him moving this one i'm gonna try next time you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> thank you nicholas cage yeah thanks thanks sailor <laughs> sailor Lola! No, I mean, um, let's let's break this fucking thing. I mean, I'm gonna go first because I've been talking. How many Nick Man, Cage? It's would you it's give this thing. I love the violence, the craziness. It's original as fuck. The characters are bizarre as shit. The, the soundtrack, man, is amazing. I loved it. I was surprised by that. So I'm gonna give it four point one out of five. That's high praise. It's a lot of it's, come, it's up there. It's up there because I think it's super weird and eccentric, and he kills it. I mean, Nick Cage is made for this role. This is the shit I want to see Nick Cage in. And I'm so sad that it's been out, you know, since 1990. And just it, obviously because it's a Lynch film, it's so weird. It's yeah. never going to be mainstream. It's never going to be on a DVD rack, at, you know, in the $5 bin at, at Walmart. It's just, that's just not the kind of movie it is. So you have to search for it. Kind of a, a palate cleanser for me. I loved it. Do you think that any Nicolas Cage fan should watch this film? Oh, by far. If you are a fan of Cage and you haven't seen this, like me, after today, I feel like, oh, man, I'm not doing justice here if I haven't seen this. That's what this whole series you know? is for, yeah, is to yeah. enlighten you on Nicholas Cage. Yes, because I've always um, been a huge fan. But, I mean, there's there's these little weird, you know, these ondelays and, <laughs> and wild right. arts that people just aren't going to see unless you search out for it. And, and they're so worth it. So, man, if I were going to rate this thing, uh, first off, I want to give a couple of fun facts. One being that Diane Ladd, I don't know if you know this, is Laura Dern's mother in real life. Yes, I did read that. I was like, wait, what? Because uh, Laura Dern is actually a regular player for Lynch. Uh, she did Wild at Heart. She also did a movie called Inland Empire. Her and Lynch like collaborate constantly. And then uh, Diane Ladd, who's, who's, I guess, most famous in this day and age, she's the grandmother from Christmas Vacation. What, dear? Great. She plays Chevy Chase's mom. And so it just just to see that character and then this right. character, she's just so paranoid. It's, it's like two years after that. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, so this is like same. Christmas occasions before this. She's almost believable as a weird psycho in this crazy fucking soup of characters. Like you just know good acting when you see it. Doesn't matter what the fucking movie is, who the director is, what she's done before. She's acting her ass off in that one. But, uh, but yes, if I were going to give this thing a rating, I would give it 4.6 out of 5 Nicolas Cage's. That's how I praise! I was telling you earlier that I'm, I'm intimidated by Lynch's mm -hmm. stuff. I don't want to watch it yet because I don't think I'm ready. Right. But, but, man, I watched Wild at Heart, and this is my second viewing of Wild at Heart. Yeah. First time I watched it. I immediately got it. I understood yeah. okay. what he was trying to say. I get the fire. I get the, you know, the lonely strips of road. I get all those crazy characters. You know, it's supposed to be like, you know, like a young person and how they view authority. Their point of view. Yeah, when, whenever view. you're in love, you know, like, yep. like you're, you're in love. There's nothing anybody can say to tell you that you're not in love. And so when they do try to tell you this, they come off looking like tyrannical. They, they come off looking like monsters, you know, just saying all that just now, it, it validates my 4.6. <laughs> I mean, it's so deep on a level that even you can't really comprehend it. Like if you really yeah. look at it, but 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 the basic strokes are there. The young lovers, 
they're on the run you know nobody wants this relationship to happen and so they try everything they can to stop it it is dated it is of its time you know it is misogynistic in the way that the 90s movies were misogynistic but at the same time they told a great story and yeah totally worthy of 4.6 on my scale one of my favorite quotes is i had a boner with a capital o (laughs) (laughs) i'm telling you if you watch it again you'll pick up on so much more 20 year old rylan would would have been like what the fuck is this Mm -hmm. you know it's too mature it's just you're not mature enough i mean i had a lot of notes for this one because there's just there's so much weird shit in it you like nick cage's weird shit i got one for you you know wild at heart yeah absolutely So you ready to start talking about this other movie? Uh, <laughs> become mad. Let's just go, because, man, it's it's so, terrible. <laughs> so now we come to the moment that everybody says is the turning point of Nick Cage's overall career. And that is 2006's The Wicker Man. Tonight's feature presentation is so fucking scary. It'll take the wrinkles out of your nutsack and fade your butt hairs. So get ready, motherfuckers, for tonight's main attraction. (laughs) All right, shut the fuck up. Start the movie. Afternoon. Sorry about that. It's okay. I'll get it. spoken in a few years. I need your help. I need your help. I have a daughter. Her name is Rowan. She has been missing for two weeks now. I fear she is in danger, so now I turn to you. Be careful and believe nothing that you see or hear. Lost your bearings? Oh, hey. Sorry. Snuck up on me there. This is private property. Do you know her? Hmm. I don't recognize this child. Welcome. My little girl is still here. She has been taken by who I don't know. I'll find her. If she existed, we would know of her. Whose desk is this, hmm? Rowan? Hello? You suspect foul play. The wicker man returns. Who's the wicker man? I'm gonna search every inch of this town. She'll burn to death. She burned to death. I need your help. So this movie is a remake of an old movie. 
So there's one thing working against it, like but just through audience reception. If history has taught us anything is that remakes, they, I mean, they might make some money, but they are not generally loved overall by audiences. Which um, I think the original is. A lot of horror people enjoy the 70s Wicker Man. I, I've never seen it, but I just heard it's just better pacing, better acting, just better all the way around. It's most important that each new generation born on summer, I'll be made aware that here the old gods aren't dead. And what of the true god? whose glory churches and monasteries have been built on these islands for generations past. Now, sir, what of him? Well, he's dead. He can't complain. Completely. Oh, it's much more so, horrific. It's much yeah, more Yeah, it's, it's more terrifying. of an actual horror film yeah. than this is. This is not a horror film, in my opinion. Yeah, this, this seems more like under the suspense thriller type of situation. Yeah. And on top of that, almost laughable, though. Or absolutely and, laughable. What am I saying? Almost laughable. The <laughs> fuck this is like? And so this is 2006, Cage, right? So Yeah, well, I was going to say, I mean, this is right. I think 11 is when it really hits hard, but he still did uh, those uh, National Treasures. And there's some good stuff after 2006, but then there's that big dry spell of 11 to probably 17. So I would argue there's good stuff sprinkled all throughout. It's this up and down roller coaster. He can never die. Like, he can't stay down. So where this movie sits, it, it's wedged right in between the Oliver Stone retrospective of the world trade center and he did wicker man and then he did ghost rider right after mm -hmm. that so i, I really like the original ghost rider i mean a lot of my friends shit on me for it but <laughs> i thought it was enjoyable Ava mendez she was just flaming hot at the moment um i get it <laughs> look back on it it's terrible it's a ghost rider movie so what do you expect man isn't uh sam elliott in that movie he is he's the uh the the gatekeeper man Remember when he goes on his first run and he's the guy that puts all those cups of water next to his bed? So, because he knows he's going to be, you're going to be thirsty, son. Gotta love Sam. Um, who are you? Question is, who are you? When this movie came out, he was still pretty legitimate. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had done Matchstick Men, National Treasure, Lord of yeah. War, you know, World Trade Center, and then he did Wicker Man. For some reason, this movie, when it flopped at the box office and it went to video, it found its own life in video yeah. where these people just started making reviews of this movie and just how incredibly bad it is. And so that was the thing for years was just bad, just bad, bad, yeah. bad. It wasn't even part of the cage meme yet. It's just this bad movie that Nicolas Cage did. Then he did Ghost Rider. And so I don't know. Let's just get into the movie. What do you say? <laughs> let's, um, let's let's plow through it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not her daughter, though. The movie's directed by Neil Labute. Doesn't have a whole lot of credits, you know. Especially he, he, not he, after. <laughs> and the the movie, it seems like they put all of their money into that set piece, that yeah. Wicker Man set piece, you know, because that's all real from what I'm seeing. All the little set pieces, like even in the village and like even at his house, whenever he's at his house. Like, I thought that was just so that was an, an atrocity of the set design. <laughs> like, that's so incredibly fucking basic. Like, there's yes. no personality. It doesn't show you anything about who he is. Nope. You know, nothing, 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 nothing. Everything about his look, too. He's just not cool in this at all. His hair is he's, he's starting to thin really bad. He's, he's just looking shitty. He's just in a suit the whole time. Really gray. You know, there's no color to him at all. So I don't want a gray yeah. Nick Cage. Uh, you know, I either want him to not say a word the whole movie or, or you know, <laughs> be fucking insane. This hers? Tell me! I, yes, I, I think it's... 
Yeah. How to get burned? How to get burned? How to get burned? How to get burned? I don't know. Where are you going? The down the middle cages never work, you know? No. You know, just a normal guy. So the story is revolved around a man who tries to save a woman and her daughter from a car fire mm-hmm. and fails, basically. Yeah, yeah beat cop. sees a horrific accident. This old girl on a mother getting run over by a semi, which should be a huge plot point in this, but isn't. I'm so sorry. She's belted in. But... Don't worry. It comes with the territory. I'll get it. A lot of visions in this movie dreamscapes or dream moments that, that go back to this moment but it really never ever matters to be honest like there's so many plot holes to this that it's it's comical that's why people just shit on it and have fun with it and yeah and, and where the fuck did that 18 wheeler come from oh totally out like, of out of freaking you're, nowhere. you're a motorcycle cop and you don't see a semi coming at you like <laughs> or hear it like you couldn't yeah. hear that motherfucker humming from at least 100 yards away, I'd be like, whoa, shit, we need to move out the fucking way. Get out the car! Give me your hand! Give me your hand! He wasn't able to save the the mother and her daughter, and he goes on leave for a couple weeks. And so while he's on leave, he gets this letter from this old flame of his, who I guess took Mm -hmm. off, named Willow, who, God, I want to talk about the worst actress I've ever seen in my life. I was, it's really bad. I am being watched, but we must try to speak later in private. There is a place out beyond the point. Meet me there in an hour. So plain, so nothing. Yeah, her lines suck too. It's like She never even finishes a sentence. She's got these big old lips and this weird look on her face half of the film and really bad <laughs> good good i'm glad i'm glad we're in agreement on that he gets this letter saying that she has this daughter and she's missing and since he's a cop she reached out to him to help and seeing as how there is a past there he starts to look into it and uh he finds out that it's on this island called summer's isle which is like a secluded island nobody's allowed on or off really mm-hmm. like a cult island you know like you know it's a red flag you know obviously yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's able to find a way through the guy who makes deliveries to the island, gets on the island, and then he starts to investigate. And so he's doing his investigations, and he's getting absolutely nothing. And and by the way, it's an island that's pretty much ran by women. First, I want to say our. Like, you don't see a single male on the island. Yeah. It's all just females he, he has to talk to, all the females that have any kind of info, that do any kind of out front work on the island. The interactions are all so awkward. Uh, where's the other woman who works here? She's gone up to the village school with lunch for the day. Where's that? Up the hill and through the woods. All right, perfect. Um, look, I'm sorry. What's happening here the day of tomorrow? You mean the day after tomorrow? It's kind of a strange way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I, I, I thought the other was a, a local expression. It's bad acting. It's bad writing. The, he's pretty much investigating the whole first hour and running into these people that are in this weird trance kind of thing or this cult kind of attitude. And there's tons of references to bees in the beginning. You kind of figure out a lot. Like, you're kind of seeing it through Nick Cage's eyes, and it gets to a point of, like, ridiculousness that even Nick Cage is freaking out. He's doing his due diligence. Like, he's trying yeah, to figure yeah. out where this girl is. He's asking them straight up, when did that happen? And they can't give him a fucking straight answer. Mm-hmm. It's always some kind of cryptic answer or some kind yeah. of open-ended answer to where it could yes. be yes. It could Bullshit. Be no. 
he eventually sees Willow on the island, uh, his old flame. You know, and they, they, of course, they reunite and they're so happy to see each other. He's down to help her out, you know, find her kid. But then you find out that Willow herself is just so not helpful at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you figure the one person that would be helpful in this situation is her? Every time Nick Cage asks her a point-blank question, it's always it's, some kind of runaround. It's, it's a picture. That's all. No, that is not all. Why don't you tell me Rome was a part of all this, huh? The rituals. I don't, I don't know. I well, try, because I'm out there bouncing around in circles, and I can use a little help. Edward, why are you yelling at me? Frustrating. Just, yeah, yeah. She never finishes a sentence, and he's just looking oh. at her like, what the hell? I remember this particular. Like, he's asking about the festival of, of death and rebirth. And he's literally asking her, like, what is this thing? Yeah, what yeah, yeah. Is it? Explain this to me, please. And, and she goes, it's a story. That's it. It's a story. And like, <laughs> That's her answer. And I'm like, no, it's like, not. Everything's it's a festival. A story. Yeah, like, it's what a festival of death and rebirth. How is that a fucking story? Yeah, it's frustrating as shit, man. Nick Cage is, is getting frustrated as the character. What the fuck's going on here? Like, and everybody wants to make fun of his freakouts in these movies. Mm. But, I mean, have you seen this movie? I mean, he's on the verge of freaking out because nobody's giving him anything. <laughs> How to get burned? How to get burned? I, How to get burned? How to get burned? I don't know! Where are you going? He's spending his off time helping his old flame to find this this girl that she mothered. And he's, yeah, I, I would fucking yell at her, too. <laughs> I'd be yep, yep. like, fuck. God damn it. The thing is with this movie, though, is like Nick Cage is supposed to be one of those weird characters. Yeah. He's, he's, he's supposed to be one of the ones on the other side. But instead, he's playing like the straight man who's like kind of ripping on these people, mm-hmm. you know, for being so strange. It just comes off so flat and it's not funny at all. It's kind of, you know, disrespectful to these people who he's like invaded their space, you know, basically. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's got Lily Sobieski in it. You remember Dude, her? That, the ultimate 90s manic pixie dream girl, Lily Sobieski. I remember, I'll never forget, one of my worst movie experiences was here on Earth. I think like it had to be like 99 or 2000. My girlfriend drugged me to it because I had made her watch like Mission Impossible 2. And oh God, I was bored to death. But you know, it had Chris Klein and Josh Hartnett in it. And it was just like the, the hot kids of the day. But it was so awful. Such a bad movie. This kid, he's going to be gone in a few weeks. You're not going to hear from him again. Maybe he's different. Tell me how. Maybe he loves me. Samantha! From 20th Century Fox. Chris Klein, Lily Sobieski, Josh Hartnett. Some people live their whole lives and never fall in love. I've never even heard of it. it, it you know, it's it's kind of her first, uh, you know, lead role, I think, maybe in the early 2000s. She kind of hit hot in the early 2000s, didn't do shit after that, I think. I always remember her being like that girl in the background. Like, she was the girl mm-hmm. in the background in Deep Impact. She was the girl in the background in Eyes Wide Shut. And yep. she was the girl in the background for Joyride. I mean, she was always the one that was smiling you know, and always made you feel good about whatever it is you were doing. I, I would always want to have Lily Sobieski hanging around me, you know, just to smile at my shit. Anyways. Anyways. Yeah, I went, oh, man, like you haven't seen her in a long time, you know. And so you find out there's a subplot where he's allergic to bees. But then that's the only thing they make on this island is honey mm-hmm. through bees. These cultish out. people yeah. are freaking out. And that's their main concern is have a good harvest, you know, have a good harvest. That's the um, word I was looking for. And so he finds himself in, in like the Mecca of bees. You know, he's in danger, like he's allergic, you know, he starts breaking out real bad. He has one of his little existential dreams and he comes to in the house of Sister Summers Isle, played by Ellen Burstyn, who I love Ellen Burstyn. 
She's uh, great. She's, she really is the, good. The Exorcist, Requiem for a Dream. Come on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she she kills it. But I think again, she was just saddled by with all this bad stuff on the movie. So, I hear you were expecting me. Why is that? Just a matter of time before you came here. I believe you're looking for a child. I might have found her. Excellent. Not exactly. In a grave. You know. She's kind of the queen bee, you know. Because like you said, this island is nothing but women and and this weird cult attitude. And they, they're almost all zombie-like, you know. They don't answer things right. Yeah, she's the one that gives the most information mm-hmm. out of anybody. And even that's really fucking spotty. And so after meeting uh, Sister Summer's Isle, he's still getting frustrated. The school scene's pretty creepy. You know, you get to see how the adults and the kids are interacting. And they keep a bird hidden in a desk, like in a like super torture, creepy way. And he's sitting there looking at all these people like, what the hell's going on? We trapped the little old bird inside to see how long he can stand it. Now, why in the hell would you let them do a sick thing like that? Where's the attendance record? Do you have Sister Summer Isle's authority? No, I do not have. You seem to forget that this is a legal matter. Well, I'm afraid you still need her permission. That's a good scene with the teacher, and he's starting to realize this is much darker than he thought. That's funny. That's the way you saw the scene, because I saw the scene from the perspective of the teacher, where this guy just kind of bursts in talking about Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't this know crazy, that crazy. This crazy, googly-eyed guy named Nicolas Cage just bursts in your elementary school fourth grade and, class. And I, and I thought it was such a dickhead move when he, like, erased <laughs> half of the curriculum yeah, yeah, on the To put the board. name on the board. <laughs> I was like, what a dickhead. Like, this guy has no idea what they were learning. I mean, I mean, he has an idea. But they were still in class. No matter how out of line he is, I'm always on Team Nick Cage, bro. (laughs) Always. You little liars. Rowan Woodward is your classmate, isn't she? Isn't she? That is her desk. And you're the biggest liar of them all. I am warning you. You tell me another and I'll rescue myself. That is a promise, Miss... Rose. Sister Rose. Of course. Another plant. Rose. For the last time, where is this girl? I'll speak to you outside. Girls, continue with your compositions. Yeah, and he passes the picture around, and nobody says anything, but then he finds the ledger and finds her name and just calls them all liars. And then he eventually gets pushed out by the teacher. But, I mean, could you imagine being a a student in that class, just having that happen to you? Yeah. Who the fuck was that guy? But that's how I was kind of looking at the whole movie, was, like, from the perspective of the people on the island. Okay. Like, not really from the perspective of Nick Cage, because you're getting nowhere. You're getting more and more frustrated, which is what we're getting, which which I was getting throughout the movie. God damn it! It's just shitty. It's such shitty writing. It doesn't reveal anything throughout its shades. Yeah. It's just constant confusion, confusion, confusion. These uh, visions of the girl, and the girl really doesn't have anything to do with this. And And then we get to the third act, which is all revelation, basically. Mm -hmm. You get to see Nick Cage punch a woman in the face wearing a bear costume, which is great. (laughs) He joins this festival parade. He's, He's in hiding. And then he sees the girl that he's after. Like He sees her tied up to a tree. And so then he makes his presence known. He, he punches the lady. He runs over and he grabs the girl, unties her, and then they run off in the woods together. And then basically she sends him on this big circle, sends both of them right back into the cult. Welcome, Mr. Malis. You have come of your own free will to keep this appointment with the wicker man. Stay back! And now the game is over. The game of the hunter leading the hunted. You came to find our little Rowan. 
but it is we who have found you, just as we intended to do. You know, I'm not sure if you watched the unrated version of this, but I didn't. I watched it off YouTube, and I spent $3, and I was mad about it <laughs> after after the fact. And, <laughs> and what I noticed was that the, the bees part wasn't in my version. What? Them pouring the bees into his into the Yeah, that was thing. in mine. So the version that I watched, which I guess is the theatrical version, once they capture Nick Cage and they take mm-hmm. him to the Wicker Man, it's literally all just voiceover. He, he doesn't have the bee bites on his face in it? I mean, the they stings on his break, face? They don't break his legs. Whoa! I was like, oh, fuck. It, that was the only horror aspect of this, was when they get a hold of him. I'm not one of you! I don't believe in your gods! You know, it's just a mob of women fucking you up. It's scary because they and, break uh, his legs, uh, misery style. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, and then and then the bee scene's just hilarious because those those are like the worst CGI bees I've ever seen. And why would bees drop into yeah, yeah. something? Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, so all that was voiceover. Like like you just heard like a crack and Nicolas Cage screaming. He's like, "Not my leg!" And then crack, and then and then not the bees. So, so we get to the point where they're carrying him in that bag. Yeah. And then they open the bag up so where he can see the Wicker Man. And he goes, oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. God. The funniest Nick Cage way. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because it's like, I don't know if I can mimic it. It's like, oh, oh my God. Yeah, he oh, was my God. So Which, <laughs> like, you know, that is terrifying to know that you're about to be put into a giant wooden thing and be burned to death. Like, burning to death is terrifying. And, and then they they put him at the bottom of the wicker man. They they have a pulley system and they they attach his legs, which you know I figured would be serious pain that he's feeling. Oh, for sure, being lifted by his legs up like I want to say be, forty feet. Yeah, there'd be massive yeah. screaming going on. Oh my god, my legs, my legs! Yeah. God damn it! But I will say the set piece of the wicker man was astounding looking. Oh, very cool looking. Yeah, you said they they really built that shit. Yeah, like, I want to say that's why the rest of the movie is shit, because they spent all the money <laughs> on the sequence, you know, which is, which, by the way, is filmed amazingly. It's a really good sequence, like, the fire goes, you know, and he's screaming, and, you know, they, they have all those extras. It was a huge sequence. Lot, lots mm-hmm. of people, lots of set pieces. And then eventually, you know, Nick Cage dies. And then it's a hard cut to six months later. Where it's like a bar scene, you see, uh, you see the world's most nefarious playboy, uh, James Franco. Nothing. Well, still early. Yeah, but look around. I mean, so these guys are like trolling for some ass or whatever, mm-hmm. and they find Willow. They follow her, and they find that it's her with Lily Sobieski, and they're just kind of hanging out. And these guys are spitting game, and these chicks are like, hee hee hee. I just graduated, actually. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, it's all right. You know, I like to help people. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. When you leave here, where are you going? Uh, home. To my apartment. When you do, will you take me with you? You know, knowing full well that they're just going to do the exact same thing that they did. To these guys, in which the implication is pretty scary, but you know the actual execution of it. Like we already mm. saw that part. It's uh, it's kind of hokey. Could you imagine James Franco saying not the bees? I mean, you'd have to have Rogan sitting next to him going. <laughs> so are we, are we gonna rate this thing, man? How many Nick Cages let's would go. you give? Let's go. Let's go. God, I mean. 
I'm going to relate it to what I've seen of his recently that I didn't like or, or enjoy as, you know, as much as others, like, you know, the Ghostland or um, Willie's Wonderland. You know, uh, this is still worse than those by far. The rewatchability is almost zero. I never, ever, ever want to recommend this film to anyone. Like, I don't waste your time. There is some funny stuff to make fun of it about. But God, the pacing's terrible. The writing's slow. The acting shit. The characters are weird. Uh, it's just the list is is never ending. So I'm gonna give it a point five. God damn it! Half of a Nicolas Cage is it, is it his Half. legs or is it his torso? <laughs> his legs because his torso's <laughs> got his face on it. So yeah, this, this is Nicolas Cage below the waist. E um, <laughs> just Nicolas Cage's dick. <laughs> nobody wants to see Nicolas Cage's dick. Yeah, yeah. Do you have permission to charge in here and just just? No, I don't need anybody's goddamn permission. The, the only reason you would watch this movie would, would be to extract the meme. Yeah, I mean, I've done it on YouTube. I've watched things making fun of it because then you don't have to watch it. You just watch why people make fun of it, and you're like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. Now that I've had to actually watch it, I'm like, yikes. There's going to be really big goose eggs like this in his career. It's just going to happen. But how many? Mm -hmm. I don't think there's more than five or six. Yeah, of just just dick and balls, and um, <laughs> because Wild at Heart might be really really weird for some people, and they might give that a two or, or one out of five because they just don't get it, or you know, it's just not their their bag. I get that. That was a weird one too, but they're different movies. They're strange opposite in their own right, and, but opposite yeah. ends of the spectrum. You know, where it's written and directed by a really good director, and then mm -hmm. a no name director with no good script and no nothing to to fall back on. And I don't know. Where are you going? I think that's one of the biggest things that hurt it was that it's it's a remake of a really beloved yeah, yeah. horror film. This was around the time, 2005. I mean, you know, Texas Chainsaw was getting remade. I mean, they were in pre-production for Friday. The horror movies were the first ones to get the remake. Wash, you know. But, so this movie, yeah, you're right. It's not good. The, the only part that's appealing is the, the last act, and even then is very lackluster. Mm -hmm. So I would give it a 1.2. God Damn it! It has Nick Cage, which is fantastic. I love seeing Nick Cage, and he freaks out pretty well in this movie. Ellen Burstyn is a treat. He should have said Bear Punch, <laughs> and that would have just made the movie a two. Bear Punch. Yeah, one one point two. Uh, I can't give it any more than that. It's yeah. It's not a very good movie, guys. Uh, no. I would I would literally just watch it if just to get it in. Basically, if you're just trying yeah. to watch all the Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if you have to, like we are. We're going to eventually get to where we watch every Nick Cage movie. How cool is that, bro? I do recommend the 73 Wicker Man. If you have a chance to go watch that, please do. It's a good commentary on the counterculture of the hippie movement. All that kind of stuff is all very Wicker Man-y. But yeah, I thought this was a great little ride, man. I thought, I thought this was a yeah. good little uh, double feature for us, man. I'm so glad I, I got you to watch Wild at Heart. That's the definite bonus coming out of this episode for me. I valued it more as a kind of more of a like, you know, I've, and I've learned a lot watching movies with you in the last year and a half, you know. Thank you, man. You know, I'm seeing things through more of a critic's eye. Fast and Furious is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going to watch Fast and Furious 14 in 2028. 20, so. Bet your ass. Bet your <laughs> ass. Yeah. Um, so that wraps up the fifth volume of Stepping into the Cage. And for Rylan Johnson, my name is Charlie Thompson. And we have been spitting the real shit. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Peace out, guys. I'll never watch Jurassic Park the same now, damn it. Just um, Nick Cage going to town. You push me down to the lowest rung. Push me away, you're the coldest one. Push my hand to a loaded gun.
Now that I'm grown